0: You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast.
1: Hey, hey, hey. 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 How you doing, man? I'm great. I'm excited. Me too. This is fun. This is episode one. Of what? Creative commentary.
0: Da-da-da-da-da-da! <laughs> that's, that's a pleasant intro. Thank you. I, I wanted to do my own little
1: a lot of of fanfare
0: yeah just Mm -hmm. I just wanted I wanted to create something I'm in favor creative commentary do that thing whether what I've made is good
1: it's not about it's about it's about the experience it's about about having tried it's about it's the journey that is a statement (laughs) thank you for your (laughs) overwhelming (laughs) agreement (laughs) on a public forum (laughs) thank you
0: Uh, No, no, we really are uh, legitimately excited. This is episode one officially Mm -hmm. of our creative commentary series on the Horizon Church podcast, which you are listening to. For those of you who maybe are joining us for the first time and you are trying to figure out what we're doing here, here's my advice to you, my friend. Go back and listen to the previous episode yeah. um, because um, we want you to think analytically and critically in this series. We mm-hmm. want you to, we want you to engage actively and we're hoping to show you some different ways to do that. And so we're just going to dive right in. We're not going to, we're not going to start this episode with explaining a whole lot. Right. Even like that name. Just think about that for a little bit. Right? do right. Don't, <laughs> we're not, I'm not explaining that. You know, engage those powers. It's multi-layered. It's, it's, it is very multi-layered. That's all we're going to give you. And that's all. We're saying Ethan has spoken it, oh, so let gosh, it be. Thank you. Let it be done. It's it's been spoken. So, this is officially episode one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be unfolding a brief biblical theology of the book of
1: Genesis. Genesis, the book of beginnings. The book of
0: beginnings. Yes, it's right there again in the name. It's right there, <laughs> and we're going to be seeing how. Um, how some of the broad themes mm-hmm. from the book of Genesis find root in some cultural edifices like uh, some oh. some yes uh, some movies I think we're gonna talk about a movie yes maybe hit uh, at a book a little a book. bit here mm-hmm. maybe a poem maybe mm-hmm. even. right whoa. So that's what we're going to be taking a look at here. So I do want to offer one quick disclaimer. You'll get the rest of those in the previous episode, but you're not going to be getting a whole detailed account of the book of Genesis in this episode. We're going to be analyzing the broad themes. Think of it more or less as like, a roadmap for if you wanted to go read the book of Genesis yourself, here are some themes to keep in mind to help yeah. you make sense of it as you read it.
1: And I think that's also very true of the pieces of culture we're going to address. Exactly. We're not going to spell it out for you. We're going to give yeah. you essentially a roadmap to experience it more richly for yourself. At least that's our hope.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in the process, you will hopefully learn to love God more deeply and love your neighbor better as yourself and uh, discover new things about God in the world. So we are in the book of Genesis and... Just by way of laying out how the Book of Genesis works, um, again in very very broad terms, okay. Genesis is kind of divided into two parts. You have chapters one through eleven. That's dealing with God and the world, right? That's that's God's broad relationship and rule over all of creation and everything that has made, and then. Genesis 12 through 50 kind of narrows it down and it moves from God's rule over everything to his relationship with one man and his family and how he's going to bring about redemption and hope and new life through the promises he makes to that man and his family. So those are the two kind of broad movements of Genesis. If you understand those things kind of make a little more sense. Again, here's a brief biblical theology of Genesis. What you're dealing with here thematically is you see right from the beginning that God is revealed as the creator king of a good world. So not everything started out bad. Not everything started the way we know it and see it now, right? Uh, When God creates the earth and the world, it's good. Mm -hmm. Everything is right. It is paradise, Mm -hmm. uh, to use a Milton term. He wrote paradise lost and paradise regained. It is paradise. It is creation and God in relationship to creation as is ideal. And this was meant to be. And so you kind of see God right from the beginning. And this theme continually reappears throughout Genesis, kind of establishing himself as the benevolent ruler of all of this creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that creation is kind of the stage on which God is going to play out his rule and his relationship with not just the stuff, quote unquote, that he's created, but you also see the crown of his creation is man mm. and woman, right? You have Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter one and two. And just, just a fun bit of trivia for you there. You know, Adam, the name we, we gave him, Adam, the Hebrew word for man is Adam, you know? Classic. You know, it, that's just right there, Um, which is another fun little theme that kind of appears out of scripture. Names is kind of reflective of who you are and what a name says about you. But that's, we're going to get into that I later. Later, <laughs> later episodes and fun stuff like that. So So yeah, so you see right from the beginning, God established as a creator king of a good world. You also see this theme, and that's a pretty obvious theme. I feel like you don't need to dig into that a whole, whole, whole lot. A major theme that also emerges right away in Genesis chapter three is that man is revealed as a rebellious subject to this creator king, and we are subverting the kingdom and slowly destroying the good creation so everything was fine until we screwed it up, right? So here's here's how this theme begins and plays out. And it's kind of part of the story of man that replays itself time and time again to this day. When we see God creating man, he creates man and woman in his own image. Theologians call that the Imago Dei. Every human being has that, which makes us, again, like we're the, we're the crown of creation. We're kind of God's vice regents. We're unique from the rest of his creatures in that we bear his image, so we're already like God in some sense. So when God puts man and woman, Adam and Eve, into this garden called Eden, this paradise, and says, you know, exercise dominion of the creatures, cultivate it, flourishing of creation. The only thing he says not to do is don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, then there's a serpent that comes along, right? Crafty serpent. Classic. Genesis doesn't tell us anything about the serpent, Okay. It doesn't say that the serpent is Satan or anything like that. All the Book of Genesis says that there is a serpent, and he is more crafty than the other creatures, and he talks. <laughs> no big deal. Which just, is by the very way, very speaks s-
1: their language. Yeah, it's just very
0: C.S. Lewis. He just he he speaks, you know. And what he says, very interesting. He says, "Did God really say don't?" And I'm going to paraphrase this. And I don't know he has a specific wording. But it's like, "Don't." Did he say really say, "Don't eat of that tree" or anything? Like that? And, and Eve says, "He said we shouldn't touch it," which God didn't say. And, you know, if we eat of it, we'll die. And what the serpent says, right, this is the interesting thing. The serpent says, you will not truly die. If you eat of that tree, you will become like God in knowing good and evil. Now, here's the the tragedy of that, right? Man and woman are already like God. They yeah. already bear his image. Exactly. But in their, their lust for something different, they disobey God's commands. They subvert his rule. They yeah. subvert his benevolent reign. They take from the tree, and everything begins to fall apart. That is the beginning of the slow decay and destruction of everything that was good in God's good creation. So that theme, it kind of starts playing out when Adam and Eve realize they're naked, they're vulnerable, they're ashamed, and they cover themselves up from one another, which we've been doing ever since, right? Like we're afraid to reveal ourselves to one another. But more than that, you begin to see the fall of mankind played out in more egregious and terrible ways. Cain and Abel, their children. Mm-hmm. Cain kills Abel. You see Lamech, who is one of Cain's sons, abusing women. He's the first to take more than one wife, and he has this-he even has this little song about how evil he is. He's like, I'm a much more violent man than Cain. And you you begin to see men are only doing what's right in their own eyes. The rule of God has been subverted. Mm-hmm. And men. And women and children and the creation suffer as a result of that. It continues to go spiral downhill. Again, you, you'll see that theme play out throughout the book of Genesis. Um, you see it with Jacob and Esau when Jacob tricks his brother. He's a deceiver, right? And then Jacob ends up getting tricked in turn. You see it with Jacob's sons. They're jealous of Joseph. And yeah. so they want to kill him. And then they decide, well, we're not going to do that, but we'll sell him into slavery. And then Joseph is falsely accused. I mean, you just, you see these themes continue to play out mm-hmm. that we subvert God's good creation. we subvert his reign because we think we know best or we think we know how things ought to be and the result is the destruction of ourselves and the destruction of the creation all right not it's not just we who suffers all that right. creation is subjected to futility because of what we've done mm-hmm. so that's a major theme that plays it. we see that revealed here is that we're not good people anymore uh, we are we are inherently evil and we we screw things up and we continue to subvert God's reign, so that's a major theme, which is nothing to say of like the Tower of Babel and all those other incidents that you see. You'll see those playing out throughout Genesis. So keep an eye on those as you're reading. Now again, that's kind of hopeless, right? That's not a good theme. That's that's a dire theme. Yeah, that's not like oh man, like you you stare into that abyss long enough and you start getting depressed, right? You'll go full Nietzsche. Full Nietzsche, right? I love that expression. You do not want to do that. So into that darkness and subversion, which we've. In the words of the Apostle Paul, we've kind of self-condemned ourselves. This is what the book of Genesis shows us. Like, every moment of judgment or self-destruction, like, we, we usher that in on ourselves. Genesis continues to show us that. We've done this to ourselves. We kind of reap what we've sown, and we should continue to reap what we sow. But another theme that appears throughout Genesis, and I think this is... Ugh, It's my favorite theme because it's the best, you know, it's, ah, I love it. God is also, he's not just revealed as a, a creator king and man is not just revealed as a rebellious subject, but God, even like moments after the fall and after Adam and Eve have doomed creation to this downward spiral of despair and destruction, God is revealed as a promise making personal God and redeemer that is not going to abandon us and leave us to the destruction that we wrought upon ourselves and upon the world. And right there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right as God is saying, well, you've done this, so the world is cursed, you're cursed. What he says is, he looks at the serpent and says, your destiny is to eat dust, basically. And the seed of this woman, Eve, one of her children is going to crush your head. Which is what theologians call that is the proto-evangelium, right? And that's this basically idea that right there from Genesis 3, God has planted the seed of the gospel that says that you've ruined yourselves, but I'm going to intervene Mm -hmm. through this promise and I'm going to make it right. Like I'm somehow going to redeem all this. And so he says, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head, but it's going to come at a cost. You will bruise his heel, which... Spoiler alert, of course, is fulfilled in the, uh, in the death um, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, you yeah, Jesus comes and crushes the head of Satan through his death, which is, of course, going back to the imagery of uh, Satan bruising his heel. I mean, he kills him. Yeah. But through that, God ends up crushing Satan and offering the hope of redemption to the world. And so you see that theme played out throughout Genesis as well. It is not just in Genesis chapter 3. You see it when God reveals himself and shows mercy to Cain after Cain has murdered yeah. Abel. You see it after he's made that promise when he clothes Adam and Eve. You see it when after the flood, he gives Noah a brand new start. And when Noah screws up and... uh has a uh, sort of mini fall in his own garden that he shows mercy to Noah. You see that played throughout the book of Genesis when Abraham screws up, right? Because God ultimately reveals more of his promises to Abraham and says, you know, through you, through you and your family, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Your name's going to be great. You're going to inherit a land. You see God initiating this program of redeeming the world and restoring it to what it once was, paradise regained. Right. And that ultimately finds expression when later in the book, when Joseph, or is it Jacob? It's Jacob. When Jacob, I <laughs> mixed up my names there, when Jacob is dying and his sons are gathered around his deathbed and he pronounces a final blessing over them, he says that from the tribe of Judah, a great ruler is going to come Who is going to, and the the idea you get is, oh, this is going to be the guy. When's he coming? So you see that throughout the book of Genesis, God continually uh, reworking this program where he's not just going to let us continue to subvert and destroy creation. He's going to make it right again. He's going to bring us back to a garden that's going to be paradise regained. So those are kind of the broad themes you see playing out throughout the book of Genesis. So those kind of provide a roadmap for understanding, again, God, who he is, Mm -hmm. revealed as a creator king, a benevolent king who loves us. You see man revealed as the rebellious subjects who continue to subvert the kingdom and destroy creation. But then you also see that God is such a good king who loves us so deeply that he won't leave us Mm -hmm. to our destructive devices that he is in the process of recreation, recreating us, recreating the world, and that he's going to do that, and he's going to accomplish that through his promises. So those are the themes you kind of see playing throughout Genesis. That's a really, really rough-shod biblical theology <laughs> of the book of Genesis. So when you're reading, pay attention for those. Right. Um, look out for those and see how they inform your reading. So as you're dealing with in Genesis, those are themes, though, that oh, yeah. appear... All over. I mean, that those are, I think those are some of the most obvious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about like the, the theme of man mm-hmm. as this, like, they may not say explicitly this rebellious subject, but this idea that man is fallen, yeah. that we destroy ourselves and that we destroy creation, that we, we are subversive people. I mean, that's apparent in
1: most of narrative as a whole.
0: Right. That is just such an essential part of the story, not just, I mean, of, of scripture. I mean, the story of the world and the story of life. Right. That that theme continually reappears. I mean, you think okay, like um Mother. Here's the movie. Oh, the movie Mother, okay? Directed
1: by Darren Aronofsky. Yeah,
0: who okay, ironically, mm-hmm. right? He's an atheist. Right. That movie is almost straight up allegorically
1: a reflection yeah. of these themes that we've talked about. If you missed it, you would be left in just dumbfounded mystery yeah. after that after the credits roll because like it is so deeply informed by a biblical allegory like
0: Yeah. That's it. no I was just like I I watched my it recently um for the first time and um if you do not know yeah. the story of Genesis especially, then there's a little more into it than that. But especially if you yeah. don't know the the outline of the story of Genesis you will be completely lost. You mm-hmm. have no idea what's going on. Even I, who I'd like to think, you know, I'm no scholar, but I've read through Genesis a couple times, you know? Um, i preached some Genesis. And there were moments where even I was thinking like, wait a minute, what? But you see throughout Mother, those themes almost... Directly, not explicitly said like that, because like uh, ironically, you know Darren Aronofsky's. (laughs) And when when you were
1: watching this, I got a text from you saying, "Does this start to make sense pretty soon?"
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it is again a caveat. It's a weird movie. It is not. It is not approach these themes with Christian reverence, if that makes sense. But it it's amazing that these themes are so allegorically represented in like the work of an atheist. Even like I think that's a huge testament to their power and the reality in the world you Yeah, know?
1: like by all means it's not meant to be a retelling or an account but it undeniably like draws inspiration in so many ways that you're like if you're looking out for it you'll start to see it pretty quickly mm-hmm. truth be told you you actually picked up on some of these these key moments before I did looking mm-hmm. back
0: yeah because you kind of see this so we're not going to get
1: into the plot or give it away
0: or anything like that if you do want to watch it because it has some it takes some very Interesting, I guess. I don't. Know. It takes some twists and turns, and when you get to the end of the movie, you're definitely like, "Oh, yeah, like that's what's happening." But it kind of, kind of allegorizes this theme of there's a creator creation. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of subversion of creation, and then there's recreation. Yeah, as an example of this, like early on. And this doesn't give anything away, I don't think. But if you're really interested in it and you're going to check it out and you're going to watch it, maybe just, you know, skip a few seconds ahead. But there's this moment early on in the movie where you have these, it's Javier Bardem, his character. The characters in the movies don't have names, by the way.
1: No, it just referred to is credited uh, as him.
0: Yeah, him, her, Her. and then there's um, a man and a woman. Yeah. And they're in this kind of idyllic countryside house. Yeah, it
1: is like this this paradise. Yeah, it's this a paradise. Isolated, idyllic world.
0: Yeah. And there's this man and this woman, and they go into this hymns. <laughs> hymns. That's such a funny way to say it, but that's just Nate. Like, that's how he's credited in the story. They go into hymns study, and he has this.
1: Uh, <laughs> <and> this <laughs> I can't get over this. <laughs> okay. The, like the creator figure, yeah, the creator's yeah. study.
0: Yeah. Um, who is. He's this writer character. I mean, he's 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 a creative. Yeah. He's a creative. And they go into his study and he has this crystal heart that he's like, doesn't want anyone touching. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they go in and lo and behold,
1: (laughs) freaking shatter. They
0: touch it and shatter it. And he closes off the study. He's like, you're not getting back in here again. I mean, that is an allegory of Adam and Eve in the garden. Taking the fruit and God saying you're out again. You're missing the Christian reference of that. But, all this is what we're trying to show you is that these themes play out in culture. In a movie like Mother, it's almost a direct allegory yeah. of those themes. Like, it's not even trying to hide no. what it is. It's saying, we're taking direct reference. Mm-hmm. We're not retelling the story no, of Genesis. It's, it's but through we're, a different
1: lens, but it's very clear. Yeah.
0: And that movie, oh my gosh. I, like, left watching that movie. Okay, first of all, it's, I mean, it's a weird movie, okay? Just, it's, it's weird. It's unsettling. It's unsettling, especially... The second half of it, Oof. what did you say the other day? Um, it is
1: it is a relentless tension.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like a nightmare. But here's the thing about that. From very early on, you get this really, I don't even know how to, like, there's this gravity about how we as human beings are subverting yeah. this good creation. Like, we are just destroying it. And it kind of brings this, for even for me, brought this new awareness to the fact that, oh, yeah, like, we're subversive people. Like, mm-hmm. we just do not care. We just go on destroying ourselves,
1: very, yeah.
0: um, destroying creation.
1: And, and, like, very self-interested and, and selfish ways.
0: Yeah. And we just, we don't think anything of the consequences exactly. of what, we, what we're doing and what we've done. And it really highlights that I think in a kind of vivid way, don't yeah, you agree? Well, and
1: what I actually, the more we talk about this, the more I think like that is true in a very personal and intimate and enclosed space. The the small consequences, but also like on a global scale, yeah, um, illustrates like a a very high level of destruction and consequence wrought from selfish decisions. It it really like it. I hate how poorly I'm describing. No, I get what you're saying. I
0: mean, because what you're, I think what you're saying is like your selfish choices aren't just going to affect you. Yeah, they're not just going to even affect your local community. Mm -hmm. Your selfish choices, those you know, what we you know, as Christians, right? We're talking as Christians. The sinful decisions we make to subvert God's kingdom, to not acquiesce to His benevolent rule, to not love our neighbors ourselves, Mm -hmm. also have an effect on the globe
1: yeah which is which is like an extremely poignant and direct like message throughout the story yeah which you'll see why it does have like a different maybe i should say agenda but i feel a little bit
0: yeah but i see what you're saying it, there. it has
1: concerns that deal with that I right
0: yeah and that's like genesis makes it clear that our choice adam and eve's choice and then subsequently our choices they didn't just affect us as people i mean they've affected the entire world yeah and uh, that was a good observation, too, that if you're watching Mother, it hasn't, like, it's, it, remember, Darren Aronofsky's an atheist, okay? And like, I just I want to make sure we are we are <laughs> caveating this and we're making this clear. We're trying to help you find the the beauty and the goodness and the truth in stories like these that, you know, are told by an atheist that mm-hmm. reflect the truth. Because there is a certain, again, agenda. I don't know if that's what I want concerns. to use. But yeah, it's, like, again, just to remind you, it's not a retelling right. of the story of Genesis. But, I mean, it just, it does. It so highlights, like, don't let that get in the way of showing you, oh man, like highlighting the gravity of the choices that we make and how they affect ourselves, our neighbors, and the world and our relationship with our creator. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that's something that when we talk about sin in the church, even, I feel like sometimes we make a kind of a categorical mistake of just talking about how it affects Well, in some extremes. I think the only time we talk about is just how it affects our relationship with God, even. Which is of course the quintessential problem for yeah. humanity. That's the biggest problem. And we some and I'm not saying all the time, but I think sometimes we fail to take into account the ways that those choices affect our relationships with each other and the creation
1: that God made, that exactly. God cares about. Mm-hmm. You know, he put Adam and even garden to tend to it. Yeah, and like, those concerns are not unfounded. And right, they're not even like unChristian. Right, um, it actually like it may be under the surface, but it's also very legitimate. Yeah, and I
0: mean those the way those themes play out in a movie like Mother, mm-hmm. it's just very eye opening. And you know, you may think be thinking of there, are, I mean, this, again, these themes are so universal. Yeah. I mean, it's, I always feel like it's a copping out to say, hey, we did a biblical theology of the book of Genesis and we looked at basically the broadest themes in <laughs> the Bible in life. But I mean, <laughs> those themes play out in all kinds of, not just me, okay, like a book. I mean, like mm-hmm. any, of, uh, any of my Steinbeck fans out there, holla at your boy. John Steinbeck's book, East of Eden, like it's in the the name, (laughs) East of Eden um, is kind of this, again, it's not a direct retelling of the book of Genesis, but it is a Genesis type narrative. You're dealing with the story of two brothers and uh, their rivalry and then like that, how that affects their relationship and what happens in the rest of their localized world as a result of that and a lot more than that. I'm actually not quite finished with East of Eden yet, so I can't I can't speak to it too cognizantly. But you definitely see those themes played out in a, a book like East of Eden. And those themes just come out in all kinds of places. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of the quintessential themes of life almost, especially from a, a Christian perspective. Yeah, I mean, I don't know
1: you got any other... Well, I believe we were talking about this early and there was a a poem you actually, you fully quoted to me from memory
0: Oh, because that's the person you are. Yes, that's right. Yeah. um, Gerard Manley Hopkins, he wrote this, this poem and I think it, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to explain it. All Uh, right. I think this may be even a good place just to. Let it rest. Yeah. Let this episode rest here and let you, you as the listener think through Mm -hmm. what these things themes mean and maybe read through the book of Genesis. It's actually not terribly long. It doesn't take you terribly long to read through it and think through this for yourself. So here's the poem, right? And I'm not going to explain it I'm just going to, I'm going to recite it <sighs> and uh, let you um, stew. think through it. Yeah. Stew on it and see how it, how it reflects what we've talked about in Genesis and these themes here. So this is the poem God's grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil It gathers to a greatness, like the ooze of oil, crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge, and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. Yet... For all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the holy ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. That concludes our first episode. So if you want to interact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at horizonschurch.net. You can find us on social media. Check out our Horizons Church pages on Facebook, Instagram. And uh, yeah, if you want to interact with us, hit us up there. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the Creative Commentary, the Horizons Church Podcast. Mm